Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Today, the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, today's very special. We've had a lot of people working together to kind of uh, to build this gathering where we can really um, immerse ourselves in the reality of what Pentecost is. As we kind of look back on the story of the early church, um, the disciples gathering together and waiting in expectation for the Holy Spirit um, that Jesus had promised them. And that that Holy Spirit empowered them to go out and to preach the good news, to tell the story that rescues the world. And so what we're going to be doing today is almost reverse engineering that story, and it's going to come in three parts. So it's kind of like This American Life, which I guess makes me Ira Glass. Um, but what we're going to be doing is, is kind of looking at these different parts. First, we're going to be looking at, you know, what is the evidence of a spirit-led church? And then we're going to be looking at that, the, the message that Peter preached on that first Pentecost and, and what was really going on there. And then we're going, to, we're going to finish where they began in this place of sitting in anticipation, waiting for the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can go out into our own city and to bless it. And so um, let's begin with part one, the evidence of a spirit-led church. I think this is a very well-known passage of Scripture, especially within our own community. In this series, Love and Translation, we've used this time and again, but I want us to come back to it in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A lot of times we talk about what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. We tend to make it very uh, individual that it's about the, the presence of the Holy, uh, the, the spiritual gift. It's about the presence of the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, a lot of people would point to Acts 2 and say it's the evidence of speaking in tongues, which is true. But if we just kind of stop at verse 41 and we kind of make our conclusions there, we actually miss the evidence of the, of the Spirit-led church is, is this list of things that we find at the end of Acts 2. And I want to go through those very briefly. And we're going to have some people come up and share about how they've experienced that within this community. The evidence of a Spirit-led church, first of all, um, the, the apostles' teaching. And what does this mean? This means that the, the, the early church, the people of God, they would gather around the apostles. They would pour over these letters. They would listen to them preach and teach as the early apostles told the story of God that climaxed in who Jesus is. And then recognizing that it's Jesus that's bringing back together mankind. It's Jesus that, that put to death our sin, all the stuff that keeps us separated, keeps us at each other's throat. Jesus put all of that to death on the cross and through his resurrection actually offers us a new way to accept our humanity as God really intended for us to look. 
but they recognized that they needed to come together time and again to allow that story to wash over them, to remind them who they really were. And so that early church, because it was very Jewish, they still chose to go to synagogue every weekend to gather together, to worship, to hear um, the scriptures, the Old Testament, to sing the songs. But during the week, they were getting together to experience the Holy Spirit and to experience the reality of the apostles' teaching. The second is fellowship and prayer. How do we define those? I think we can almost understand fellowship is just this deep connection, this deep relationship that we have with one another that we choose to go below the surface of merely enjoying a company of one another, and we actually choose this, this deeper sense of what it means to be the family of God, to be the people of God. And we recognize it's the Holy Spirit that binds us together and invites us to really open ourselves up to one another. And then prayer really is simply connection to God. So we're talking about fellowship and prayer, we're talking about connection to one another, and we're talking about connection to God. Thirdly, wonders and signs. Wonders and signs. Are, we were even talking about this earlier. I feel like it feels weird to say wonders and signs. Like we're just naturally like signs and wonders. That's the kind of the phrase that we've learned. But scripturally, it's wonders and signs. I don't know if there's a preference there. But what are we talking about there? It's really hard to define. What, is, what, what are wonders and signs? What is the miraculous? You know, we talk about it being supernatural or outside of the norm, but I think there's a bigger thing going on there when we witness wonders and signs, when we witness healing, when we witness deliverance. All these things are really, we're seeing heaven and earth woven back together. This reality that was ripped in two by sin, that there was a separation between the spiritual realm and the physical, is being sewn back together through the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Church. And it's these signs and wonders that are the recognition that heaven has broken into earth and they're being woven back together. And when we recognize that, then you and I, the believers, the family of God, we're almost like those stitches that are being used to sew heaven and earth back together. Fourthly, devotion and consistency. I think we all know that real transformation happens over time. Sometimes there are those specific moments, an event, a workshop, a conference, a, a moment of prayer, whatever it is that's pivotal in our transformation. But by and large, we are changed over time, and we're changed by consistency. And we all know that. That's not a surprise to any one of us. Yet it's so hard to choose into consistency, to show up time and again, to maintain a level of expectation that something's going to happen but it's usually over seasons, over years, maybe even over decades that we're able to look back and to see how the Holy Spirit has transformed each one of us because of our engagement with Him and our engagement with one another. And finally, generosity. And how do we define generosity, whether it's of our time, our resources, our experiences, whatever it might be. But I think generosity through God's eyes is this vision that he has for neighborliness, this ongoing theme that we see throughout the scriptures that God is instilling, first of all, within Israel through Moses, then through the, the, the recall to repentance through the prophets, and then finally through Jesus and his church, this new vision of neighborliness that we're no longer afraid of one another. We're no longer seeking to dominate one another in order to, to to gather together all the resources and hoard them and protect ourselves. But we actually step into this vision of neighborliness that God has, where we live generous lives that reflect His generous heart, and we realize there's enough to go around. 
that nobody has to go without need, that we, there's, within ourselves there's this spirit of generosity because we're made in the image of a generous God. And so we're gonna hear from a few people in our community that in some way have experienced each of these five arenas where we see the evidence of a spirit-led church. So first of all, I wanna bring up my dear friend Garrett Callahan. Give him a round of applause. So the first area that I want to share that I've experienced the evidence of the Holy Spirit is in what we call apostles' teaching. Now, I want to broaden it not just to the apostles you think in Scripture, but the apostles that God has gifted with wisdom and insight that we don't see ourselves. And for me personally, I used to take it on myself, the responsibility that I felt it was up to me to know everything about God. Like, I couldn't rely on anybody else that somehow, like, it was all heresy and I had to figure it out and that was a responsible Christian did. But over time, and I began to realize that I was actually de dependent on a self-reliant faith, and that I was depending on myself to somehow ar to arrive at a place that I was not even gifted to see things that God has gifted to the people. And in my life, I've realized that the importance and value is not in reading other apostles' work and depending on their faith, but that when you engage in their faith, it actually opens the door for the Holy Spirit to engage you and to begin to start a conversation and a perspective about who God is that maybe you haven't seen on your own. And so for me, I can say that I've been transformed even just this past week through literature and through works and through, through, through scripture from apostles who have seen the things of God and have taken the time to write it down. And because I'm willing to open myself up to a conversation, to perspective about who God is that maybe I could not see myself. In turn, I can be transformed and allow myself to go on and change other people's lives. So I encourage you, don't be afraid to start a conversation with God and that may look like starting a conversation with somebody else or with a reading or with a scripture that maybe you're not familiar with. And I hope that the Holy Spirit can meet you as he's met me. So I'll share on um, signs and wonders, wonders and signs. Um, so I love this, and I, I, I feel like I pray for it often, um, but hardly ever see fruit. But So here's the, the fruit story. Um, went to uh, Canada last summer with some friends from City Beautiful, um, and we served this youth ministry there. Um, we're actually the cleaning team. So we encountered this kid named James, um, classic skater kid. He would actually leave the worship sessions to go smoke cigarettes. <laughs> And then we come back inside. Um, so we started hanging out with this kid. He's a funny kid. Um, and one day, as we were uh, cleaning the bathrooms, this is literally what we did um, all week, he uh, came in like 10 a.m. Everyone else is like in a worship session doing some kind of workshop. And he just like strolls in because he, I don't know, just woke up. Um, and he shows us this bald spot on his head, like in the back of his head, probably the size of a golf ball. And the skin is just bare, like, like, it is like a baby's bottom bear. And like, what, how, how did you, like, he's like, I had this for three months. I don't know. Would you guys pray for it? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we, we pray right there, you know, Holy Spirit, like, come into this. Like, I believe you can bring hair back to this kid James' head. Like, why not? Um, and the next day, he wakes up, and he's got hair, peach fuzz, like, coming out of the top of his head. It's the strangest thing. Um, he's like, yeah, three months that I've, I've had this weird bald spot. Like, I've literally worn a hat every day for three months, and then, like, now I'm getting hair. Um, and so the cool part was um, a couple months later, he messaged one of us with, like, a mirror selfie showing that the whole of the hair was grown back. There was, there was nothing. It was perfectly hair. Um, yeah, it's just this, this wild story where we kind of just opened ourselves to the Holy Spirit in the moment to say, like, yeah, sure, like, I think that... 
um, that you could bring hair back to this kid's head, and, and he did. <laughs> so I'm going to talk again for about generosity. And when I was praying about it, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to talk about generosity of time. And generally speaking, I can be a little bit hoarding of my time. Like I can come into church and like I just want to see the friends that I know. And like even at work, like I don't necessarily want to tell everybody about all my things and whatnot. And um, at work, they knew that I had gone to California on a trip, but that I didn't tell anybody like what I was doing or whatever. And there's a new coworker that came and sat by me. She's like, so you went to California? And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. Sure did. Um, and she keeps asking questions. And like I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, just talk to her. Like, just talk to her. And I was like, okay, fine. And she's like, what, what are you doing in California? And I was like, this is going to come across so awkward. <laughs> I was visiting a bunch of churches. Well, why? Because I wanted to. Sounds fun to me. And like, they can't, they didn't like understand like that. And she was like, well, well, why do you like church so much? And I was like, I just really love Jesus. Like, it's, I'm like, I'm, this is so awkward. Like, I don't know how to have this conversation. And, and she's like, well, okay, I have some questions. And I was like, oh, oh, no. And she's like, well, how do you feel about, like, homosexuality? And how do you feel about, like, the church persecuting this? And I was like, and she just, like, lists a bunch of questions and how she feels about, like, and how she's been, like, hurt by the church. And I was like, and I'm hearing all that. And the Holy Spirit's like, tell her the truth. And I was like, well... I definitely do not have all the answers, um, but it says pretty explicitly in the Bible that we're supposed to love one another well, and um, that I think that our church really tries to love um, one another well, and like we're not perfect at it, and we try really hard, but um, I would say that's pretty much all I have. And she's like, I've been asking people these questions for years, and I've never heard any, and that gives me hope. And I was like, woohoo, good. And I was like, fantastic. That was months ago. And then, turns out, on Mother's Day, I'm up, I was busying doing things around, and I turn around, and she's in the lobby. And I was like, oh, what are you doing here? And that's what I said, because I'm an idiot. And... <laughs> And I was like, what are you doing here? She's like, well, I wanted to come visit. And I was like, okay, welcome. Glad you're here. And she's like, and then I talked to her about it again um, later. And I was like, how, what did you think? She was like, I really loved it. Like, I took that little poem that Becky wrote and I put it on my refrigerator and it was just so refreshing. And I was like, oh, good, fantastic. And like, I don't remember inviting her to church or saying the name of our church, but somehow she figured it out because I took that time to be like generous. And I didn't even like try very hard. Like, and imagine what would happen if I actually gave it like effort. You know what I mean? So like being generous with your time and how the Holy Spirit can use that. So yeah. So over the past year, I've learned a lot about fellowship and community and what it means to choose in, show up even when you don't want to, when you're tired. A few years ago, I moved away from Orlando, and when I did, I quickly realized what I left behind and what I lost. And so I fought my way to come back. And when I did, it was different. And that's okay. I needed to rebuild to start over. But in doing so, I was traveling full time for work. So it's a little hard to rebuild a brand new community when you're never even here to live in it. But it was people in this community at this church 
who were continuously pursuing me and choosing into me and inviting me, come to dinner, Megan, come grab coffee, come do this, right, right? And I still was like, ah, I'm tired, I have an early flight, you name it. And one, one morning I was having coffee with a friend who challenged me and asked, Megan, are you using travel as a way to avoid being deeply known by a community? of choosing in, of having intimate relationships and friendships with people. And God started working in me so hard and identifying all of those fears of what it means to show up and be fully known by people, but then what happens if they choose out? They don't like what they see anymore, right? But this community still continued to choose me even when I wasn't necessarily choosing you back. So I started showing up more and more and digging into those small moments of dinner, of coffee, of grocery shopping, whatever it was, and didn't realize that those moments that may have seemed minute, whatever it was, we're building the foundation and setting the stage for some of the most important relationships I've ever had in my life, who have been helping me identifying these fears and praying over these fears, and has really allowed me to dig into home and dig into family. And so I have seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit and fellowship through you guys, which I am eternally grateful for, and has been able to move me to a place of consistency here. So thank you for choosing me, and I challenge you to choose into the people around you in fellowship and meals and prayer and every part of it, because um, it will change you forever. Hey, everyone. So I am the other half of Megan's story. Megan's talked about the beginning of her journey into fellowship, and I'm talking about devotion and consistency. And I've been a part of this body for over seven years now and have been in house churches and small groups for close to five years with people. And there's the thing that I need and I have learned to love and cherish the most is my people, is the devotion of the weekly showing up to do nothing or to do something to know when their God children are born, and for high school graduations, and for being together, and having and creating family. And that has changed me. It's so funny, when you begin to leave something, you recognize the importance of it. And as I'm in a season of transitioning out of Orlando, I am craving and missing and mourning the loss of this devotion, the loss of the reality and the tangible presence of God. For me, how do I say it? Abandonment is where I have felt my greatest wound, and faithfulness is God's greatest gift to me. If I could pick one characteristic of God that speaks to me the most is the fact that he shows up every day, all day, to tell me that I'm worth loving. And the fact that people have done that for me. What Megan has begun to share, what she's learning, I have seen the fruit of seven years later. I have been known and know deeply, and have loved and loved deeply, and that wherever you are on that spectrum of community and of devotion, choose it. Choose it fiercely. Fight for it when you have things that are worth more of your time or better to do, or if you're tired, because the faithfulness of God is seen so truly in his people and is such an evidence to people outside of the body of God moving within us. Part two, telling the story is what brings us back together. There's this, this ancient story in the beginning of Genesis that we see right after the fall of man, everything just so quickly begins to fall apart. 
from the sin of Adam and Eve in the first generation, we find jealousy and murder, and it continues to spiral out until we come to this story of the Tower of Babel. And whenever you see in those early stories, it says they keep moving east. What it really means is they keep moving farther and farther away from God's intentions for humanity. And so they finally settled in Shinar, which is Babylon, which is Iraq, which is saying you can't get any farther from where God wants you to be than here. And we find in that story that it's the pride of man. And we're so proud of our own capabilities, our own strength, that we're going to do it ourselves. And we're going to build this tower that rises up to the heavens. We're going to be the ones that hold heaven and earth back together. And in that story, God sees us and says, we can't let this happen. We can't let their pride rise up as kind of a, uh, an insurrection against us. And so God sends confusion of languages and disperses the people. The very thing that they were most afraid of becomes true. And you wonder if that story is maybe in the back of Luke's mind when he's writing about that first Pentecost. Because through the Holy Spirit in his church, God is bringing back together what has been shattered by mankind's pride. It was our pride that brought confusion, this idea that we're going to do it ourselves. Because as soon as confusion comes in, confusion of language, confusion of agenda, confusion of socioeconomic status, whatever it might be, it begins to bring hostility into the human story. And if we start to read Pentecost through that lens, we begin to see there's a whole other level to what God is doing at Pentecost when he, the, the, the disciples are sent out and they begin to speak in all of these different languages that everybody gathered together in the city are there to worship God for this, um, this festival that's going on. And they begin to hear the story of God in their own languages, that language that brought confusion and hostility and spread people out over to the ends of the earth. Now God is actually using the multitude of languages to bind everybody back together. And so Pentecost then becomes this story that through the multiple languages, God is bringing the human family back together. And this is what we call redemption. This is what we call reconciliation. This is what we call salvation. Because in a way, those apostles anointed by the Holy Spirit are translating God's love in real time to people in the city that desperately need to hear it. And I think there's something about hearing the story of Jesus in your own language. Maybe that's literally in your own tongue. But maybe it's hearing the story of Jesus in a way that it touches the deepest wounds within yourself that you begin to recognize how very true it is. And in that, you begin to realize how tender and sensitive Jesus is to each one of us, that the salvation that he offers us isn't simply just a ticket so that we can go to heaven when we die, but it's actually a personal invitation that Jesus knows your story. He knows your language. He knows your confusion, but he can still speak in such a way that it brings you new life that it brings you back into his family. And it's interesting to notice that when Peter stands up on that first Pentecost and preaches after the multitude of languages, he doesn't just give facts and doctrines. Peter doesn't stand up and say, okay, here's all of the things that we believe. Here's our 95 theses, and if you agree with this, please come and sign on the dotted line, and now you're a Christian. No, Peter stands up and he tells the Jews their own story. He says, you know the main characters. 
You know the major themes. You know that this whole story has been going somewhere, that God all along the way was leading these little breadcrumbs through the Torah, through the history books, through our poetry, through our prophets, all of it, and it climaxed in who Jesus is. And Jesus ties together all of the themes of our own story. And so Peter's saying through Jesus, God shows what he's really like. But guess what? We put him to death because of our sinful ways. We put Jesus to death, the climax of God's story. We put him to death because of our idolatry, because we'd rather serve other gods, because of our injustice that we think that we're the ones that can rise up and dole out good and evil, right and wrong but that God raised up Jesus to prove who Jesus really was as the Messiah, the true king, God's ambassador, the best thing that God has to say to humanity. He raised up Jesus to forgive us our sins, to let go of those things that keep us apart from him, and to offer us this new life, a life guided by worship, a life guided by justice, and it brings all of us back together from the ends of the earth. You see, the story of Jesus is both universal enough and personal enough to save everyone, including you. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's both universal enough. There's no tribe, there's no tongue that it's not applicable to. Jesus didn't come to save just his people. He came to save all people. But it's also so personal that none of you are exempt None of you, your story, your personality, nothing about you exempts you from the saving work of Jesus because he knows you, he sees you. None of it is a surprise to him. None of it is overwhelming. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you think about who you are that Jesus goes, I don't think I can work with that. That's a little bit much even for me. No, all of it fits. He's so sensitive. He's so tender. He has such authority, motivated by his compassion to meet each one of our stories and to draw us back together. The story is for everyone, every tribe and tongue. But this story needs your voice. This story needs you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and speak a very specific language that's gonna meet somebody else, that's gonna offer them the hope that's found in Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you've never actually received that. You've never recognized that truth in yourself. You've never made that declaration and said, yes, actually, this is the story that is rescuing me and is saving me. And in a moment, we're gonna step into a time of prayer and empowerment over that. But we also wanna continue on in worship and recognizing that it's this story that brings us back together. And so, We've asked some people to contribute to a video that shows how we in this community have been equipped to tell this story. Part three, waiting with expectation for the Holy Spirit to empower us. And so we began by looking at this is what the evidence of a spirit-led church is. This is the fruit of us being bound together. I like to say the spirit of Jesus, just so we can really understand who it is that binds us together, that animates us, that, that manifests these very specific evidence. This is what new humanity looks like. 
In part two, we were kind of focusing on this moment where the apostles go out and they begin to preach the good news in all of these languages. And then Peter gets up to tell the story in a way that it meets each person individually and personally and welcomes them back into the story of God, into the family of God. And now we come to that first moment in Acts 2 where the disciples are waiting in expectation. Ten days ago, according to our calendar, was when we celebrated the ascension of Jesus, that he continued his ministry after his resurrection for 40 days. And he was ready to to ascend back to uh, the right hand of the Father. But before he went, he told his disciples, I want you to, to wait. I want you to get together, and I just want you to wait. And I'm going to send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who's going to come in, and he's going to empower you, and he's going to give you instructions for the next portion in your story. And so Acts 2 starts like this. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost meaning 50 days, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're called into that same invitation to wait with expectation for the Holy Spirit to empower us. We can sing great songs and we can preach the best sermons ever with the exception of Michael Curry yesterday at the royal wedding. You know, we can go out and we can serve, and there's all of these things that we can do, but none of it's a substitute for actually encountering in real time the Spirit of God. You know what I mean? All of it's us just playing house until we actually have, you know, the courage and the vulnerability just to open ourselves before the Lord, to believe that He's here with us now, to believe that when Jesus, before He ascended, said, I'm with you always, He actually meant it. And he meant it by giving us his Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, Pentecost is a powerful time for us to remember that all our doing begins with waiting. We can can run so quickly into the Christian life in serving and enacting justice and doing all of the stuff that we actually leave the Holy Spirit behind us. And we forget and we wonder why we burn ourselves out so quickly. Well, we've lost the fuel. But I think today of all days is a day for us to remember that it was this waiting. And it's not, it's not passive waiting. It's not just us sitting around twiddling our thumbs that maybe possibly something will happen. It's this, it's this expectant waiting. It's this energized waiting. It's us kind of laying out the fleece and saying, okay, God, you promised you were going to show up. So I'm going to challenge you, Yahweh. I'm going to challenge you, Hashem. Are you going to show up for me? Are you going to meet me in this place? Are you going to come through on your promises? And I think God wants us to have that high level of expectation, to challenge him, to pick a fight with him if necessary and say, I'm not leaving here until you follow through on your promises that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, that you're going to be with me. You're going to reveal your presence to me and you're going to empower me because I can't go out there and do this on my own. I can't go out there and just use, summon up all the willpower I have and develop all the programs that I need in order to go about preaching your good news. I need you with me. I need you to empower me. And so we're going to step into kind of three types of prayer in a moment. But we need to recognize that the prayer we're called to, the act of waiting, is the anticipation. 
that prayer gives us the heavenly perspective that we need to go back out and to preach the good news and that prayer opens us up to actually receive and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the first kind of prayer is an ancient form of prayer called the laying on of hands. And in a moment, I want you to get together with the people that you gave testimony with, and I want you to lay hands in an appropriate manner, of course, and to empower one another through the laying on of hands, to pray that the Holy Spirit will, will meet that person, that they will be open to receive him. And maybe this is the moment that you've never actually prayed to invite Jesus into your life, to give yourself over to him. Maybe this is the moment that you need to articulate that because there's something powerful when we speak out the thing that we feel deepest within us that makes it true. That when we use our words, our mind and our heart and our spirit tend to follow suit. And so first we're going to pray uh, through the laying on of hands for one another that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna step into that moment. Um, so Holy Spirit, we're here, um, not because we wanna sing songs and not because we wanna read the Bible, although those things are wonderful, it's because we wanna meet you. We wanna be open to receive you, to be surprised and delighted by you time and again, that you meet us in our languages, you meet us in our stories, you meet us in our pain, you, you meet us in our triumph and our celebratory nature. You meet us in all of these things and you invest us with your spirit, you give us life, you give us trajectory, you give us meaning. And so Father, we wanna come before you right now. Send down your Holy Spirit in those tongues of fire to meet each one of us. Empower us as we lay hands on one another to be that vessel through which you move. So turn to one another and let's lay hands on and pray for empowerment. The second form of prayer is contemplation, creating the space for Holy Spirit to speak. And I think this is where it requires a lot of faith to believe that he can actually speak to you. Um, that's scary, it's intimidating. It sounds like it's for somebody else, you know? Um, but it's for you, we believe that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit today. And so I'm gonna pray in a moment and we're just gonna take um, a few seconds to sit open-handed before him and to ask this question, what do you wanna say to me, Holy Spirit? So I just invite you to get in a posture to receive, put your hands out in front of you if you want, just as that, that physical demonstration of like, here I am, you know, almost like, uh, like Samuel in the Old Testament story, being in the temple and hearing this voice and going, here I am, Lord, what do you wanna say? And I want you to be willing to be surprised. So. Lord, we thank you for the laying on of hands and that you empower us through one another. Um, but Lord, each one of us, we wanna be able to hear your voice. So God, we give you permission to speak to each person here. Whatever you wanna say, whatever you wanna show us, we are open and available before you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you speak to us now. Continue to teach us, Lord, how to keep our ears always open, that we'd always consult with you before we assume anything of anyone, even of ourselves. And the last form of prayer that we want to step into is intercession. I believe it was the spirit of Jesus that gave the apostles the heart for their city, for Jerusalem. Because if we're not motivated by compassion, 
for the places that we live, the people that we walk alongside of day to day, then what are we doing? I think so much of what Holy Spirit speaks to us is the language of compassion, that he softens our hearts. As we begin to see people, we begin to see places the way that he does, that we see that heavenly potential of what can happen when heaven comes to earth. And so I wanna invite you to stand and we're gonna step into a time of intercession guided by in Orlando as in heaven. Because this is the city that you've been called to or Claremont or Oviedo or Bithlow, wherever you're from, the central Florida area. And it's not an accident that you're there. It's not an accident these are your people and these are your places. Because those are the exact people and those are the exact places that you've been called to. And so a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. And if you look along the outside of the whole room, we've got all these different banners for these different areas of our city. We've tried to get them approximately in the right place. So Winter Park, Sanford, all over there. Celebrations over there. Colonial Town, US, UCF, whatever. And I'm gonna encourage you um, to go to wherever you're from and just to stand there and invite the Lord to, to give you prayers to pray over that neighborhood. What does it look like for heaven to come to Claremont? What does it look like for heaven to come to Altamont Springs? What does it look like for, for Claremont or for heaven to come to Lake Eola Heights? And begin to open yourself to that divine imagination to see uh, the place the way that God does. And so we're gonna pray and we're gonna step into this. And if you're really bold, I want you to take one of these ribbons and to draw it out to the place um, that you live and you'll find there's little clips there and it's kind of this symbol of the fire of the Holy Spirit going out from this place uh, into every neighborhood in our city. So Heavenly Father, um, you have called us here and you've called us now. None of us are accidental. This is all with purpose and it's all for the purpose of seeing heaven come to earth, of seeing heaven come to the city of Orlando. Lord, break our hearts for our neighborhoods break them open, that we would begin to see the way that you see, that we would begin to love the way that you love, that we would begin to walk the streets of, of, of the city beautiful, of our beautiful city, and have so much compassion and so much hope because you're not done with us. In fact, you have so many plans for our city. So Lord, in this moment, would you send us to go and to pray over the city of Orlando? Let's move, let's pray. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.